Blog Talk Radio. Corruption. Racism. Xenophobia. White supremacy. Healthcare protections hanging by a thread. Law enforcement encouraged to commit acts of brutality. Peaceful people being separated from their families. And at the helm, a man beholden to Russia who is so unhinged that his actions could actually lead us to nuclear war. Join Liberal Dan Radio, Talk from the Left, That's Right, Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Central on Blog Talk Radio. Together we must stand against the destruction of this country and the ideals we hold dear. Before it's too late. coming at you from New Orleans, Louisiana, to join the conversation, hopefully. It's area code 914-803-4131. That's area code 914-803-4131. You can also join us in the chat uh, on blogtalkradio.com slash liberaldan. And if you're listening after the live broadcast, you can leave your comments, questions, concerns, etc. on the show thread at liberaldan.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash liberal Dan or at liberal Dan radio on Twitter. Uh, we've got a little bit of a late start to the show today because of some technical difficulties, but hopefully everything is going well and we can be heard, etc. But first let's go ahead and do this week's headlines. Donald Trump tweeted that he wanted to build a moot with a wall with alligators. That's right. You heard it correctly. Not a moat, a moot. Tom Holland, the actor who plays Peter Parker in the MCU, is reported to be the one responsible for getting Disney and Sony back to the bargaining table. Apparently, he just doesn't play a superhero on the big screen. In other entertainment news, it's being reported that kids won't enjoy the new Joker film starring Joaquin Phoenix. Really? An R-rated movie that isn't made for kids to enjoy? Shocking. Finally, Donald Trump cited Nickelback in a recent tweet against Joe Biden. If citing Nickelback isn't grounds for impeachment, I don't know what is. And that is this week's headlines. So, what's going on with Herr Donald? Now, it's just... We'll get to the hypocrite of the week later, but you've got... Barr was trying to talk to uh, Australia, trying to get them to help look into the actions of our government in 2016. And Pompeo now was involved or was listening into that conversation. And apparently Italy was, was also being contacted to see that if, if they could you know, help out. And how do you get more treasonous? I mean, I guess there are ways to be more treasonous. I mean, I guess he could literally just be found writing a check to Al-Qaeda and say, hey, do this bad thing for us. I guess you could have him do various other things that, that, that would potentially be horrible. However... I just, I, I, how can people not see the actions of this administration as being anything but treasonous at this point? It's absurd. It's absolutely absurd that people are just still following this guy. They're still, they're still making it just. They're still being apologists for him. It's crazy. 
And we've got, I mean, he's calling for Schiff to resign. You know, he's, he's using actual filth, foul language on Twitter. You know, he keeps arguing that we have, um, whatchamacallit, that we have um, presidential harassment or whatever. Well, I don't know. As a lot of people have said, maybe he was asking for it. Maybe it was something that he was wearing that asked for the harassment, you know. You know, may, and maybe, you know, uh, again, like last week, Nancy Pelosi moved on and on like a bitch. Anyway, let's go ahead and hit the first words of uh, first commercial break. I'm sorry. We're going to go ahead and hit the first commercial break and take your calls as well. Hopefully, to 914-803-4131. That's 914-803-4131. This is Liberal Day and Radio. Talk from the left. That's right. Are you planning a trip to Disney soon? Do you want help avoiding spending mistakes and making the most of your vacation? Then check out BudgetEars.com, a new site devoted to helping you get the most mouse for your money. What kinds of tickets should you get? Is the dining plan a good deal for you? Should you stay on grounds or not? Should you buy park hoppers? Many other sites are filled with information about what other people like to do, but BudgetEars is geared to help you make the best decision for you. So check out BudgetEars.com or go to YouTube.com slash BudgetEars and help make your trip the best it can be. BudgetEars.com is not a travel agency and it is not affiliated with the Disney Corporation or any of its holdings. Are you someone who is looking to get into the ride-sharing business, be it for a side hustle or a full-time gig? Are you currently a ride-share driver wondering how to increase your earnings? Are you simply a new rider looking for first-time rider credits? Head on over to RideshareDan.com for those first-time rider credits, sign-up bonuses for new drivers, and my tips and tricks to help you make more money in the gig economy. And welcome back to Liberal Dan Radio. Talk from the left, that's right. This is your host, Dan Zimmerman, coming at you from New Orleans, Louisiana. To join the conversation is area code 914-803-4131. That's 914-803-4131. Uh, taking your calls, if you wish. And uh, it does appear that we're actually broadcasting live so people can hear me. Um, I'm not sure about the ability of people to call into the show yet. They're still seems that they're working on that. Um, let me just message. Uh, see if that works. Because maybe I can call out uh, to the guests that we're having on at nine o'clock. Um, yeah, let's go ahead, and we're still processing the audio file for the for the uh, words of redneck wisdom. So let's go ahead and. Uh, uh, I don't know, let's let that process for a second and we'll continue uh, the discussion about Amber Geiger. And yesterday we went from, oh my God, this is amazing. I can't believe this is actually happening to, oh my God, this is ridiculous. I can't believe this is actually happening in the, in the course of 24 hours dealing with uh, Amber Geiger. So for those of you who have been living under a rock and you don't know, uh, Amber Geiger was a police officer. She was off duty, but in uniform, she took a she she took a wrong turn apparently or something, and it turned out that uh, she went into the wrong apartment, was on the wrong floor, thought it was her apartment. Oh. Anyway, welcome back to Liberal Day and Radio. Talk from the left. That's right. 
This is your host, Dan Zimmerman, coming at you from New Orleans, Louisiana. To join the conversation, it's 914-803-4131. That's 914-803-4131. Um, I don't know why I went into mute, uh, but I will be fixing this in <laughs> post. So hopefully you only hear this little message. But let me, I guess, start again so I can delete this one too, and it'll be nice and edited. Three, two, one. Welcome back to Liberal Dan Radio. Talk from the left, that's right. This is your host, Dan Zimmerman, coming at you from New Orleans, Louisiana. To join the show, it's uh, 914-803-4131. That's 914-803-4131. Waiting on uh, the show to upload, or or at least a bit to upload. Um, Let me go ahead and refresh the site. for some reason, for for some reason, it keeps going on mute. So I don't know what's going on with that. But um, let's see if this is finished up. Yes, we are. We have finished uploading the words of redneck wisdom. So let me go ahead and start this one right now. And now this week's words of redneck wisdom, brought to you by Liberal Dan Radio. And let's focus on women. I already know about men. I'm trying to focus on women. I seem like a lot of people get offended and they can't focus on what I'm trying to say. What is it with, with these, and some Republicans, these dumb women, Pelosi's and all that, what is it that drives them? Let's get to the deep part of it. It's not just an agenda. It's, it's because they allow their emotions to get in the way. Let's take an example of illegal immigration. Okay? They don't they don't apply the law. They apply the emotions. Let's look at guns. What 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 is it that they they do? They apply the emotions, not the constitution. Why? Because women's motherliness is is part of supportiveness, loving, caring. They don't know how to put that aside. That's the point that I try to make many times. But women can't just focus when they just throw men in there. Men, I'm not talking about men. Women. That's why you see a lot of these Democratic Congresswomen that want to get rid of this president because the president uses his common sense and puts his emotions aside. And women have a hard time doing that. And, and, and that's a fact. I've dated a lot of women. I lived with two or three of them. I didn't get married until I was 43. I experienced a lot with them. But a lot of them <laughs> okay. cannot put the emotions aside. Have a blessed day, brother. You have just heard more words of redneck wisdom. Brought to you by Liberal Dan Radio. Talk from the left, that's right. He's talking. Now, whenever when I heard that the first time, first time I was driving and I was just in absolute shock that he was saying these words. And I shouldn't be because it's a conservative radio show and this caller is a very big evangelical type and, and I shouldn't be surprised of, of his views on women. But so I'm shocked the first time, but then the second time I listened to it, all I could hear was Allen Iverson and practice. I'm talking about practice. So he's like, I'm talking about women. He's like, I'm not talking about men. I'm talking about women. I'm like, really? And I tried to call in and be like, look, there are some women who call into his show and have other shows on that station and they're all conservatives and I'm not going to begrudge their opinions because I think they're being emotional. I, I just happen to disagree with their opinions. I'm, I'm not going to say that it's because they're emotional that they feel that way. I'm just going to disagree with their opinions because I don't think that they're well-founded in fact, logic and reason, but it doesn't mean that they're because they're emotional and it's just the sexism that just comes in. And, and there's maybe a combination here with what I want to talk about a little bit, uh, because I might put the cart before the horse a little bit here and talk about kind of the ending of the day and then kind of rolling backwards into what happened today, which was, you know, this guy feels this way about women because of his religious beliefs. And he was made to believe that uh, women are somehow inferior and capable of doing these things now. He called into the show this morning and tried to assert that he didn't say what he said, but we just heard what he said. He said it. Now, 
and and some people who who strongly follow the the evangelical folks who strongly follow their their faith they the the religion i think almost poisons their mind with this garbage but and, and i shared this post on facebook and i put it on my facebook the liberal dan page and i also shared it to my personal page and and I'm going to tell you what I wrote, and then I'm going to tell you what I felt, what what kind of really pushed this post, although I did kind of hold back a little bit on the Facebook page and to my friends uh, who may be, you know, people of faith. And so what I said was, let's not praise the forgiveness that Brant Jean or Brant John uh, offered to Amber Geiger too much. It's perfectly okay to not forgive someone who murdered a family member. I don't think people should be shamed into forgiveness by the notion that what he did was the, quote, right thing to do. I'm not saying he shouldn't have done it. I'm saying that people who have... I don't know when that went off, so let's just start reading it again. Let's not praise the forgiveness that Brant Jean get offered to Amber Geiger too much. It's perfectly okay to not forgive someone who murdered a family member. I don't think people should be shamed into forgiveness by the notion that what he did was the right thing to do, in quotes. I'm not saying that he shouldn't have done it. I'm just saying that people who have suffered loss have every right to be angry for as long as they need to be and not one second sooner. And I, and I believe that. I, I believe that, you know, that's true, that, that I, I think a lot of people are too quick to kind of be like, Oh, he was so wonderful in doing that. It was so wonderful that he forgave. Uh, why is that wonderful? Why, why is that a, a positive thing? I don't. I, I don't necessarily. You know, they say the error is human to forgive is divine, but really, is it really? Is it really divine to forgive? I mean, and. Does this person's this is where I feel like I'm getting a little controversial. Is this person's faith make him feel obligated to set aside the feelings that he has and not deal with them? Does did did he really forgive Amber Geiger for what she did or did he feel like in order to be a good Christian in order to be a good follower of his religion that he needed to forgive her that he needed to do that I mean if you know, religion the, the belief that you know that or the, the effect that religion could have on people is, is astounding I mean to go back to the person who i Cited in words of redneck wisdom, or who I who I aired his his words, this guy has basically said that religion is what forces him. He he'll tell you that 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 faith is the only way, and that you know he wouldn't have done it without faith. Maybe that's true. Maybe he maybe he himself needs faith, needs the threat of a, a lifetime of burning in hell to prevent him from doing the bad things that he used to do. And interestingly enough, I had a conversation with my children in the car the other day. And one of the things we were talking about, I mean, they, 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 they've been on a big, does God exist kick. And we got to the topic of religion. And I was like, look, there are people who don't believe in God. There are people who do. There are people who follow religion. There are different religions out there. And I was like, well, what's, what's better? What's more moral? Is it better to do what is supposedly right or what you think is right because you fear eternal damnation and you fear the repercussions that might happen to you if you didn't do that thing? I use hitting as an example. Is it better to not hit because you're afraid to get punished? Or is it better to not hit because not hitting is, is the right thing to do and you want to treat other people as, as you would want to be treated? One of them got it right, at least in my opinion. One of, one of them 
said it's it's better uh, to avoid the punishment, but the other one was like, look, it, it's better to, and maybe the other one, the, and the, the other, the oldest one answered first and answered with that one, with the uh, it's better to avoid punishment. So maybe the second one was just being like he is, just to be contrary and having to do the opposite of what his brother does, and say, no, I'm going to go with this one and, and see. Either way, he got the right. He got what I felt was the right answer, which is it's better to do the right thing, just because it's the right thing to do, not because you fear the punishment. It kind of is similar to um, the parable, if you will, of uh, the religious school student in like rabbinical school who asks the orthodox rabbi, "Why did God create atheists?" and the rabbi says, uh, the atheist is somebody who will do the right thing, not because he is expected to by a god or not because he is feeling some, you know, afterlife benefits. The, the reason that the atheist does what he does is because it's the right thing to do. So when somebody asks you for help, don't pray to God to help him. Be like the atheist and Help, your, help him yourself. Help him or her yourself. So again, the same kind of idea. Do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Don't do the right thing because your God tells it to, tells you to do it. So, but there are many people who have faith who are made to believe that they don't do the right thing. They're, they're terrified into not doing the what's supposedly the right thing, which might, does it include in this case, offering up forgiveness to the person who killed your brother? I don't know. I can't speak for him. And, you know, if he's sincerely doing it from the bottom of his heart and he, and, and he really believes that the right thing to do is to, is to forgive this woman for her unspeakable acts. Good. Good for him. You know, I, I, I don't see myself as if that ever happened to a family member. I mean, odds are, I'm, since I'm white, I'm most likely not going to have that happen to a family member because being white, I'm less likely to, to have to deal with uh, rogue cops. But, I mean, this woman has a history of, of racist, racism. She, she criticized the activities of fellow, cop, fellow cops who are black. A uh, whole different way of doing things is what she said. She um, made some joke about, oh, when is Martin Luther King going to die? <laughs> she, you know, plenty of examples. You know, she wants a racist dog. Well, let me tell you something. You know how to get a racist dog? You get a racist dog by being a racist. And here's why. Because your dog will pick up on your attitudes and your behaviors. Your dog will sense if you feel threatened by somebody. And if you're somebody who feels threatened by black people all the time, when you go around a black people, a black, a black people, when you go around black people, you have to see a black man, black woman, whomever, and you get nervous, that dog's going to sense it. And that dog's going to get nervous too. Imagine how that works. So I have no doubt in my mind that if Amber Geiger would have had a dog that that dog would have been a racist dog because that dog would have learned that behavior from Amber Geiger herself. Now, the problem with Amber Geiger is that, you know, every, again, everyone was shocked that she was charged and found guilty of murder the idea that, that, that a police person is going to actually wind up shooting a black man and get away and not get away with it is something that seems to be very odd in this country. This country is, has tons of stories of black people getting killed by white cops and those white cops getting off scot-free, not even with charges in some cases. Meanwhile, white people do much worse things than the black victims were. And guess what? They get arrested and they don't get shot dead. But in the span of a day, we went from a nation that was amazed 
that, I mean, I was amazed it was murder. I'm a little shocked. I thought they would have going to come back with manslaughter. Now, doesn't matter. They could have given the same sentence at that point, but I'm surprised. I mean, I understand why they could come back with murder, because if you read Texas laws, you see that if you're illegally entering somebody's house and you're doing so, and by doing and in doing so you commit a crime, then that makes it burglary. And if you're and that burglary is a felony felony. So if you're you kill somebody in the act of a felony, it is no longer manslaughter, it's murder, regardless of your intent, because you committed the felony. It seems kind of go circular back on each other, but I understand what the reasoning is for it. Although I was a little concerned that maybe by convicting on murder that they might open the door for an overturning. But then just 24 hours later, she gets 10 years. She gets 10 years. I don't know the exact number of days that she's been in prison or in jail awaiting sentencing, awaiting the trial, waiting to be convicted, awaiting sentencing. I mean, she was in jail for a day awaiting sentencing. But, you know, all of those days add up. So those are counted towards her overall service of time that she's going to have to serve. But under Texas law, if you commit a regular crime, you could get parole after a quarter of the time being served. But if you do what's called a 3G crime, I don't know what cell phone service has to do with it, haha. but if you commit a 3G type crime, a more major crime, then you can have your sentence paroled after half of the time served, which means that in less than five years, because again, she has already been serving time awaiting her trial, awaiting the conviction, awaiting the sentencing, all that time adds up. So in less than five years, she is going to be able to potentially get parole and get out of prison. So less than five years in, in addition to what she's already served in order because she killed somebody because she walked into that person's room into that person's apartment and she killed him in cold blood. She saw the black person and that probably triggered her fear response because she's a racist. So she's automatically afraid of black people. Saw somebody who she supposedly thought was a black guy in her house. Now, I don't know how that happens. Honestly, I don't know how you can be in somebody else's house and not realize you're in somebody else's house. There's a house in my neighborhood that looks almost exactly like mine. If I walked through the front door, I would guarantee you, I would, if I saw somebody that I didn't recognize, I would quickly look and be like, oh, shoot, I'm in the wrong house. I need to get out of here. This is my bad. Sorry. Not, I'm going to kill you. Ridiculous. But there's also, and I haven't quite, I looked it up a little bit, I haven't quite figured it out, but there's also the good time or good behavior. It's either called good behavior or good time or whatever it is, whatever you do to help, you know, if, if, if I think it's work that you might do in prison, you can do work if you're, if you're deemed eligible to do this good behavior work. And depending on the type of work that you do, you potentially could have even more time written off of your sentence. Now, I don't know how much that applies or if it could apply, but we already know that she can get, she could potentially get out in less than five years now because she's already served a little bit of her sentence already. And that's disgusting. Absolutely disgusting that she will be able to do that. So that's the problem with the short sentence. If it would have been a longer sentence, then perhaps, you know, if, if they gave her 20, that still might not have been enough because it, then she gets out in 10, potentially. And this is Texas. I don't know who's going to be on the parole board in, in five years or less than five years, but, I mean, if you have pro-cops, people who think that she was railroaded because they think that she, you know, generally a good person who you know and I could list all the things that they said about her 
all the extra stuff that happened in her childhood, all of the wonderful things that all of her friends and coworkers said about her, you know, ignoring the fact that coworkers are obviously going to talk nice about her because there's the quote thin blue line and they're going to have each other's back regardless of what they do. Again, I mean, I can, I, I can get the friend getting up on the stage, the person who she knew before she was a cop, but all the other cops getting up on, you know, trying to, you know, how can you take it seriously when they're always talking about the thin blue line? They're talking about the thin blue line and, and something that can't be violated. Let's see. So let's go ahead. I think I'm pretty much done talking about this. Let me let me go ahead and uh, I'm going to quickly do the hypocrite of the week. And then we'll take our break. And then we'll see if we can get uh, Daniel Lockwood on, uh, who's running in the 4th Congressional District of North Carolina. Um, here it is, hypocrite of the week. This week's hypocrite of the week is Lindsey Graham, who said that a president shouldn't be impeached because of third-party information. Not only do we have an official document stating what Trump did, along with Trump's own confirmation of it, but Lindsey Graham also served in the House and voted to impeach Bill Clinton off third-party information. Graham, someone with a law degree, also called it hearsay, something he should know it isn't. To see who next week's hypocrite of the week will be, tune into Liberal Day and Radio. Talk from the left, that's right. Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Central on Blog Talk Radio. And a big shout out to Thaddeus Hawley, uh, at Thaddeus86 on Twitter, for recommending this as the hypocrite of the week. And there we go. There's lots of hypocrisy abounding when it comes to what's going on with the impeachments and Donald Trump and the uh, problems that, that people have with how we're treating poor Donald. I'm waiting for like that Britney Spears, well, leave Donald alone. No, let's, let's not. Uh, I wish we could leave Donald alone. I wish we could just get rid of Donald in the first place, but I don't think it's going to be happening anytime in the near future because you have plenty of senators who are just going to um, believe that it's more important to support him. I think Nunes is one of those who was at a campaign rally or something or a dinner. It's not like a dinner because there's lots of plates clanging. And he seemed to say that, hey, you know, it's more important to protect Trump than it is to protect the country. Again, I've said this before. I'll say it again. Public party is no longer about country first. I don't know if it ever was. If it ever was, it's not now. Party first. Party first. Everything else second. Now let's go ahead to the commercial block. Come back, take your calls, 914-803-4131. If you can call in, it's 914-803-4131. It's Liberal Dan Radio. Talk from the left, that's right. Are you planning a trip to Disney soon? Do you want help avoiding spending mistakes and making the most of your vacation? Then check out BudgetEars.com, a new site devoted to helping you get the most mouse for your money. What kinds of tickets should you get? Is the dining plan a good deal for you? Should you stay on grounds or not? Should you buy park hoppers? Many other sites are filled with information about what other people like to do. But BudgetEars is geared to help you make the best decision for you. So check out BudgetEars.com or go to YouTube.com slash BudgetEars and help make your trip the best it can be. BudgetEars.com is not a travel agency and it is not affiliated with the Disney Corporation or any of its holdings. Are you someone who is looking to get into the ride-sharing business, be it for a side hustle or a full-time gig? Are you currently a ride-share driver wondering how to increase your earnings? Are you simply a new rider looking for first-time rider credits? Head on over to RideshareDan.com for those first-time rider credits, sign-up bonuses for new drivers, and my tips and tricks to help you make more money in the gig economy. Welcome back to Liberal Day and Radio Talk from the Left. That's right. This is your host, Dan Zimmerman from New Orleans, Louisiana. Uh, with us right now is Daniel Lockwood, 
uh, candidate for Congress in uh, North Carolina's fourth congressional district. Thank you for being on the show. Uh, sorry for all the technical difficulties. <laughs> uh, no worries. Thank you for having me on. Oh, it is my pleasure. Uh, I've said this before previous shows. Um, I, I previously ran for Congress back in 2004, and you know I didn't get much help, um, but the help I did was greatly appreciated. And there was actually the conservative guy who had me, um, the conservative guy who had me on the show on his show a bunch. You know, the, the one who actually was the caller from my hypocrite of the week, uh, or the words of redneck wisdom earlier. He was actually very helpful. He didn't have actually like the guy that I was running against, um, which is good for me, I guess, although I didn't do too well in the election, but I was also running in a much more conservative district than what I probably should have. So um, gotcha. so tell us a little bit about yourself and why you decided to run for Congress. Uh, sure. Well, um, let's see. So I am – um, a native of my district. Uh, the fourth congressional district of North Carolina encompasses most of central North Carolina. So Orange County, um, a little chunk of Durham, and Wake County. It's very, very heavily gerrymandered um, and has been that way for a long time. And so it is very safely democratic. But um, I grew up in Cary, North Carolina, and I went to school at uh, UNC Chapel Hill. So I'm really familiar with the area. And um, I think one of the biggest reasons I'm running for Congress um, is the fact that we have a decade to get climate change under control. And it feels like a lot of the leadership that we have in our government is not recognizing that reality, is not willing to face it. And a lot of the people who are supposed to be on our team in Congress and in the government are not really espousing things as sternly and seriously as they should. Um, so I have other passions. I, I'm pretty nerdy. I like um, making stuff um, online. Graphic design, web development is my nine to five trade. And I someday want to get into virtual reality. And I realized after doing some soul searching a few years ago that I could pursue my passion. But if the global food supply collapses in a couple decades, then what's the point? I would have wanted to focus my energy on politics where things really matter. And um, when Bernie Sanders' campaign came around, I knew something clicked there that never had before because there was somebody who was speaking to all the issues as I truly believed it and didn't feel like this watered-down version of what me and you know everybody I knew and all these conversations I saw online were uh, looking at. So that inspired me to to get involved, and I worked with that campaign. And this election cycle, after Donald Trump won, um, I, I knew I needed to be more involved. And more specifically, this race entering into this one. The incumbent, Rep. David Price, um, has been in office for around 30 years, um, on and off, and he he's hardly ever been challenged. He's only had one or two primary challengers in his entire career, and it felt like if we didn't take this opportunity to present a challenge in this gerrymandered district, nobody might do it. So we started this up a year and a half ago and just wanted to see where it would go. And the trajectory has been amazing. The people who have helped us in this process and the relationships we formed with some of the ground game in this area is what lets me know that there's a lot we can do and there's a lot of individual power that people have. And that's awesome. And I, I definitely appreciate that. And look, you know, I'm a, lot, a lot of things people that I'm focusing with, are the people that are actually running in the districts that are already blue. Uh, because I think with this kind of blue wave that happened in 2018, if we can continue to ride that into 2020, that not only can we make Congress more blue and more progressive, but we can take those existing blue seats and move them more to the left as well and make them bluer. Exactly. So uh, that's a, uh, that's, that's definitely a good that's thing. Good. And, you know, and obviously, you know, you know, on your, on your website, you, you, and on your Twitter, you know, 
account you do, you know, mention, you know, that you are, you know, you were definitely for Bernie. Um, and, uh, you know, in the last, last election, uh, I was more of, I think I, I took more of a pragmatic approach in the last election. I didn't care who was the, who was the candidate, um, as long as I knew that we had to beat Trump. And unfortunately we didn't, uh, cause so too many people, you know, believe the lies or whatever they did, whatever caused them to not vote for their best interest, they voted, you know, against their best interest, but, you know, sure. Medicare for all, you know, it's something that is needed. Getting there quick, more quickly is, you know, is, is definitely better than taking the slower approach. I mean, I, I mean, I've come a while away from there where I was like, you know what, as long as we eventually get there, it's good to the point where, you know, these companies are too greedy and they can't be trusted. And, you know, what, what we're dealing with people's lives here. It's not like, you know, Exactly. Other industries where, you know, maybe we can, you know, work a while and kind of take a more pragmatic step-by-step approach. But with health, I mean, these companies have proved themselves to be non-trustworthy. So something else needs to be done. I completely agree with that. And that is why I am gung-ho for uh, Medicare for All. It, when, I I think the 2016 election, since you brought that up, is a, was a very key moment where I think a lot of political pundits and political scientists should have taken a step back and rethought a lot of how of how many assumptions they have about the entire political process and and the people they discount and the things that they say are too fringe and just their general strategy. But it feels like that didn't really happen moving into um, you know the more recent elections and even into this year. And I. I used to see the logic in uh, a snail's pace at policy until I really started paying attention to politics and seeing the kind of interactions here. Uh, Maybe that approach could work in a perfect world where the Republican Party is full of people who are just genuinely trying to make this country work as efficiently as possible and they read facts and and they (laughs) assess their beliefs, but that doesn't happen. They are... They are bad actors in a lot of ways, and they will never concede ground on anything. And the Democratic Party, it feels like for the last several decades, has just come to the negotiating table with that like middle ground position that they think they're going to be able to get to. And they start with that. And then Republicans bring it even further to the right until – what you have is completely dysfunctional policy. I mean, the Affordable Care Act was the conservative solution to the healthcare accessibility problem, and they called it socialism. So there's no reason to water down what we need to solve the problems. We just need to fight for those problems, and we need to mobilize people and and let them know that we are fighting for the solutions, not for these half-baked little percentage increases that I guess you pat yourselves on the back when you reduce poverty by 1%. I I don't consider that a success. I consider that a failure in mobilizing people. And so that's the approach I'm taking here. We, we are not conceding any ground to the right. And, and, you know, I brought that up the other week too on one of the other topics in that, you know, you have the affordable care, one of the problems with the affordable care act, was simply the fact that, you know, the Affordable Care Act, you know, started from a compromise position instead of starting from Medicare for all and getting to a compromise position. Maybe if we started with Medicare for all, I mean, back then the filibuster actually meant something too, which is another another topic altogether. Um, but, you know, you started off in, in an area where you had to like, if, if in any concessions you gave up to the people who were to the, on the rightmost of the Democratic Party, like your Mary Landrews from Louisiana, for example, who only came along because she got some extra money for Louisiana, um, you know, you, you, you wind up losing much more. Where if you would have started from a more progressive, more liberal spot, maybe you could have gotten to where you started with the Affordable Care Act and had a public option and had you know, that public option be just sliding scale based off of your taxes and, and then have that, 
you know, basically be. Okay, it must uh, have I, cut out for just a little bit there. But, um, can you hear me now? I, yes. No, okay. Oh, technology. <laughs> yeah, technology. Um, um, yeah, I, the entire thing is just been all day, all, all episodes long I've been seeing is we are currently experiencing an issue with our host line and guest call-in functions. And I'm frankly surprised we're able to do the show as well as we're doing it because of the fact that it's just my, my screen keeps jumping back and forth, you know, from, oh, I'm live. Oh, I'm on mute. Oh, I'm in this, whatever. And I don't really know if that's the case or not. Uh, so gotcha. it's, you know, if I start, if I stop talking just for a second, just go ahead with, and, and do your own thing for at least for the next 15 minutes, because the show is going to hard cut off in 15. So um, okay. <laughs> anyway, so, but, you know, we have other issues, I guess, on, you know, Green New Deal, strengthen the EPA. Obviously, we need to strengthen the EPA because it's being dismantled as we speak. Um, yes. We have, you know, a situation where, you know, the idea that we shouldn't regulate is just absurd. Like, you know, if anybody should have learned anything from the BP oil disaster is that, you know, we need more regulation in the oil industry and not less and, and actually work Absolutely. as a software developer in oil and gas down here in Louisiana. And part of what the company I work for does is, um, you know, implement software that enables people to, to deal with those regulations. Um, not that I would make any more money if there were more regulations or not, but because I'm not an owner of the company by any shape of stretch of imagination, I'm, I'm new. I'm actually still doing contract work for them. But, you know, the more regulations we put in there, the, the more checks we have on them, the, the less likely. And, and we actually put teeth on them and actually, uh, I hate the word actually, if we, if we just follow up and make sure that they're followed, uh, we can prevent such disasters as we implement the green new deal and move away from the types of energy that is killing us. <laughs> that is, you know, non-renewable, you know, going from non-renewables to renewables, moving into solar for some reason, you know, some reason, you know, the, and the best thing about the green new deal is that it, it, it talks about jobs. It, it transitioned those workers from, yes, from, you know, people working in coal to people working. And that's the problem I think the Democrats had before the Green New Deal started is they had a really hard time just talking about and giving the message of, look, we're not coming to take your jobs. We're just coming to give you different jobs, maybe better jobs that are going to you know, be better for both you and your skill set and the environment that you live in. Exactly. Uh Honestly, I think one of the things that really frustrates me a lot about, um, I'd say, modern politics in the Democratic Party and in the spheres discussing this kind of stuff is the, I guess, disgust toward the idea of purity tests, people who don't like the fact that uh, there are a lot of leftists who are looking for unwavering support for the Green New Deal, for instance, or Medicare for All. But Green New Deal specifically um, is, I think, incredibly good at doing what you're describing, where it is covering the entire scope of understanding of what this problem is going to be, how it manifests, not just in changing the energy so we don't contribute more to the problem, but recognizing what's already going to happen. The science is out there. The studies have been done. The models have been you know, tested we don't need to keep debating about this. And I don't understand why anybody thinks it's a valid position to not solve this problem. There's no more pragmatic solution than solving climate change. Because well, I mean, you can't half solve it. One of, my, one of my economics classes way back in the day um, I think it was Keynes that said in the long run, everyone is dead. Uh, so unfortunately, too many times, you know, when, when you're beholden to the big corporations and, and their uh, attempts to get profits, short-term profits are always seen as, you know, beneficial because they could always, you know, eat, take as much money as possible. And then if the com company dies, then oh, well. And, and, you know, it's almost like the, the, the um, robots in the matrix, I should say. 
is that they're uh, maybe they're willing to put up with like at the end when they say like, hey, we're willing. I think some line is like, we're, there are certain things that you're willing to put up with in order to survive, and maybe the the rich are saying, hey, you know, we don't need three quarters of the planet because we don't care about the fact that you know three quarters of the planet won't be here as long as we have our little part of the thing. And I don't think they understand that you know it, if it goes, it goes. Um, but you know there are they even market based there are even market based solutions to to pollution problems. I think it was back in the 80s um, they implemented cap and trade to eliminate acid rain. You know that they they basically said, hey, if you're a company that can that can implement changes to your business practices more quickly and reduce the amount of sulfur that you're putting into the atmosphere, then you're going to get to sell your credits on a market and somebody else can buy them all up. And they, they can, you know, they'll be able to release more, you know, in the short term while they figure out how to reduce their emissions as well. And at the end of the day, you wound up with less acid rain. You wound up, uh, I think that eliminated the dust bowl. You wound up, you know, helping the environment through a way that was, you know, forward thinking and, and even a little bit conservative. But, you know, it used to be back in the day, the, you know, conservatives wanted to conserve things like the environment. You know, we had a big uh, save the lake down here in Louisiana where it was a bunch of conservatives and a bunch of environmentalists who got together to eliminate the pollution in the lake. What happened to that? Yeah. Well, probably gerrymandering. That's probably the first and foremost thing that happened to that is, is you know, preventing people from pushing people more to the extreme. So um, I, I, I do, I think, want to kind of respond to a little bit of that. Um, sure. Maybe back in the day, this was kind of a mindset that conservatives had, but um, I'm 26 years old. And my understanding of politics, you know, when I first really started paying attention was post 9-11. I have never experienced a world where the Republican Party made any kind of decisions based on science or evidence. They have been incredibly anti-science and self-serving the entire time. And so I, I just, a, AOC, I think, said it really well one time where we just, uh, this generation does not have the nostalgia for this party, uh, to us, it doesn't exist, and that never existed. And as far as market-based solutions go, like those might have been great to implement back then. And there have been decades where more and more of those solutions could have been implemented over time, and we could have slowly eased our way into a good spot with dealing with climate change. But we, we don't have that time anymore. If market-based solutions were going to work, would have worked by now. Uh, so I just don't think that we can rely upon the free market to get us there. We have well, to. Well, I mean, just to be oh. clear, I'm not talking about letting the free market do it. No, there needs to be, like the cap and trade included like requirements on the businesses. It wasn't just free market. They just, you know, they said, hey, companies can at most put out X amount of pollution and that amount decreases over years. And then okay. if somebody is able to do it more quickly, then they get to use, they get to sell their credits. And that's what I meant by market face. But well, sure. Uh, yeah. I, but I do see your point that the ability to do that as years pass, as days, weeks, months pass, clearly it becomes harder to, to take a slower approach and we need to quicken up the pace, so to speak. So the, the idea yeah. that, you know, maybe the ability to do cap and trade may very well be, have passed us by. Um, but it's just a shame that we used to have, again, yeah, you know, you don't, uh, and yeah, as somebody who is somewhat older, <laughs> um, I, uh, I, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I never thought about it that way, that the whole, you know, we don't have that nostalgia, you, you don't have the nostalgia that we do, have we, I mean, but then again, you know, back when I was younger, I saw Reagan as this warmonger, horrible person who, was going to drive us off of a cliff because of his rhetoric. And it's almost like, well, <laughs> I wish the Republican party was more like Reagan, you know, because now it's worse. I mean, you know, you've, I've, you know, Reagan talked about uh, amnesty for people here, you know, you know, who are undocumented, you know, he saw the benefits of, you know, not taxing um, Warren Buffett the same as a, truck driver you know you know these are things that progressives are saying now you know and and 
real progressives. It's not like middle of the road type, you know, you know, I'm going to talk to both sides and not really do anything centrists. Um, how, how low of a bar are we setting ourselves as a society if we think that the Reagan administration is a place we need to get back to? That was well, already. No, no, no. It's a place treasonous. where I want the Republican you know, I, Party to get back to. I would like the Republican well, I, I Party understand. to get back there. <laughs> I don't I, want us back I there. Don't no. think, I don't think that the Reagan administration at that time, uh, even then, I don't think that any of those people should be making any kinds of decisions for this country. I don't think that they had uh, any good mindset behind what they were doing. And we're just seeing a more gross manifestation of that nowadays. Uh, true. I mean, that's true. It's, it's, all of this it just shows how far gone the Republican Party has gone when people can look back and be like, you know, I miss that. <laughs> you know, I miss that. I miss that that was the people yeah. that we had to deal with as opposed to the people we have to deal with now. I guess that's kind of the point. So, sure. um, wow. I've had a lot of talk in the chat room. Um, yeah, we have very little time left, though. We only have about four minutes. A lot, lots of other topics that you're, oh, you no. know, demilitarization of the police. You know, 100% agree. Yes. Abolishing private prisons. There's no reason to have a private prison unless you're just going to want to make your campaign contributors richer. Um, abolishing ICE. They're obviously addicted poorly, and we need to replace that with something better um, or nothing at all, perhaps. Um, LGBTQA+. <laughs> Go ahead. Oh, just any particular policy you want to stop on, uh, go ahead. You know, I, we, my, the platform that I have is in line with Bernie Sanders' platform and in line with the priorities of uh, the national priorities of the Democratic Socialists. Um, those are guiding a lot of what we do. And where we can, we try to push the conversation further to the left. We try to bring up new ideas that aren't really talked about, and we give um, a voice and a platform to people who haven't been heard. That's fundamentally the idea behind what we're doing, and we think that it's a winning strategy. Yeah, and, you know, so, I mean, I, I would challenge any progressive to get on your website, which is Lockwood, the number four, nc.com. That's L-O-C-K-W-O-D, number four, N-C dot com. Um, and uh, look at all of your issues. And, you know, most people, if you call yourself liberal, if you call yourself progressive, are going to agree with the vast majority of these things. And, you know, I, I just personally think that, again, we have the opportunity to, um, while we're taking advantage of the fact that, you know, there is still a swell of, of liberalism that's trying to, you know, continue to push beyond what happened in 2018, you know, we can't just look at those districts that are red or purple and try and get them more blue. We have to look at these other, you know, you know, entrenched politicians are just as much of a problem as, as you know, on our side as the politicians are on the other side. So new thoughts, new ways of thinking, new policies are I think is what is needed to make this country better. And uh, that's why I'm trying to get as many folks who are running in those districts out there. And I wish we could have had a better show. Um, do you want to say any final thoughts before we go ahead and wrap up? Cause we have about a minute and a half and I have to start my ending in about a 90 seconds. There you go. <laughs> oh man. Uh, I think for anybody listening to this, if you are not currently engaged in the political process, if you're not helping organize or you just feel like you can't have an impact, that is so patently false. All you need to do is just find a group in your area, your local Sunrise Movement, your local Democratic Socialists, Our Revolution, whatever it is, just do a Google search and, and start showing up to their meetings. Um, a lot of what we've done in the past couple of years here with the DSA has been stuff that we, we, trust, we tried for the first time. We didn't know what we were doing and we learned from the process and we found in that that we had a lot of power and simply all it takes is the willpower to change things. If all right, and with that again, we, we're, we're coming up at the end of the show. Do I do want to have you on again when we have better technical issues, um, but, so, but thank you for coming okay. on. Again, that's Lockwood4NC.com. That's Lockwood4NC.com. 
Until next week, this is Dan Zimmerman with Liberal Dan Radio. Talk to the left, that's right.